Hello, everyone. Today, we're bringing you the podcast Brown to Fisher, the evolution from desegregation to affirmative action. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Harrison and Becky. So first, we're going to uh, start off by talking about Brown versus Board of Education and the legacy that came with that. And in particular, we're going to be analyzing just how uh, affirmative action reflects the goal of Brown v. Board in the Texas school system and looking at how some counties resisted integration. So first, looking at uh, Brown v. Board, we'll just give a quick description. So uh, Brown v. Board um, ruled two very important things in 1954. So the Supreme Court ruled that uh, separating children by race in public schools um, was unconstitutional. So, and then the second thing that uh, Brown v. Board declared was that separate but equal clause, I guess, was um, indeed inherently unequal. Um, So, yeah, they got rid of that. Yeah, and segregation was of state-sanctioned schools or public schools were a violation of the 14th Amendment. And then we can just, you know, give some background of affirmative action. And it's basically affirmative action is a policy in which an individual's color, race, sex, religion, or national origin is taken into account in the selection process. And it's often um, associated with college admissions and Um, But even like in employment, it's considered um, and it's basically to give underrepresented or previously discriminated uh, groups of our society um, representation in the world. Which is a huge, uh, there was a huge amount of resistance throughout the country, but especially in the South. So we'll be looking at in specific Texas, um, Longview, Texas, which they uh, really resisted integration and desegregation Um, in Longsview, Texas. um, An East Texas-based federal court mandated that Longsview, a long list of uh, tasks in order to make sure that um, its Black students were learning and participating in the same classrooms um, as their white peers. Um, There were huge, so there were huge resistance and this court mandate um, that actually had the federal court watching over the school district actually lasted until 2019, until the school district was officially declared uh, racially integrated. And then I'm, I'm just wondering, like, how were they able to resist segregation for so long? How did the... Um, I mean, their, their strategy for uh, not desegregating and integrating their schools was just ignoring the decision made by Brown v. Board of Education. They had no intention to go with that decision until they were actually forced by the court to do so. But once once the court actually mandated the Longview, Texas school district to integrate their schools um, and fund their schools better and more equally, students were actually starting to thrive and do a lot better, especially uh, the students of color who were actually performing better than they had before now that they were um, a part of a lot better and better funded schools and were performing on par with their white counterparts. Also, I assume this county or the school district is very large percentage of the people that live there are white. So there could be resistance in that way. Right. Yeah. So actually, when the court mandate actually first came into place uh, in the early 70s, black students made up about 35 percent of the student population. Uh, Latino students making up 0.2 percent, while white students made up 65 percent. 
Um, and unfortunately, one of the problems that came with desegregation and integration, um, a lot of the racist white families were not very happy about that. So they decided segregation academies or something like that. Segregation, yeah. Something segregation like academy. Yeah. yeah. Um, or just move entirely into more predominantly white towns. Um, mm-hmm. And as a result of that, looking at back at Longview, Texas, back in uh, just recently in 2017, black students still made up 35% of the population while Latino mm. students made up almost 40% of the population. So they went from 0.2 wow. to 40%. And white students only made up 20%. White families were, or many white families were um, pulling their children out of schools and moving away or putting them in private schools. And that's a degree of separation. And but, oh yeah, so and, and then one more thing. So uh, one of the important things that came out of Longview, Texas, and pretty much everywhere else around the country um, with desegregation and integration, it pretty much showed how beneficial integration was for pretty much everyone. Students in general performed far better with a more diverse classroom, and and, um, it it kind of proved that diversity within the school system is is very crucial. So the legacy of Brown lives on and is clearly reflected in Longview, Texas School District. Exactly. Even if there were some resistance to that change. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, the next case we're talking about is a little bit more recent. It's from 2013, and it actually made its way to the Supreme Court. So we're going to be talking about Abigail Fisher. And basically, just to give you a rundown, Abigail Fisher was denied admission to University of Texas at Austin, or also known as UT Austin, or UT, and resented the school that can, it, that for the fact that it considered race as a factor in admissions decisions. And she argued students with worse grades compared to her were accepted because they were a person of color. You know, she's clearly not for affirmative action and believes she has negative, negatively been impacted it, be, by it because of her race as a white um, student. And the lawyer on her case, who was Edward Blum, and he is known as this architect and chose to help her find a lawyer and he's this like legal entrepreneur and his his mission in life he has dedicated himself to strike down every race-based policy in the united states and wants to like abolish affirmative action and anything like that because he believes it affects uh, white people in not a great way and like leads to further division so and just for some background, he also he has had six cases go to the Supreme Court regarding affirmative action and or race-based policies. And so he seeks out to find the perfect plaintiff. Petitioner's primary argument is that it was unconstitutional for UT to use race as a factor in its admissions program because the university's pre-existing race-neutral approach they had a top 10% plan, which made it so anyone who was in the top 10% of their class at a public school in Texas was automatically admitted to UT, is fully capable of meeting any educational interest in achieving a diverse student body. However, the Supreme Court held that in affirming the lower court's decision, the Court of Appeals did not hold the university's admissions policies to a standard of strict scrutiny. And that their judgment was incorrect and that based on judicial precedent in other cases dealing with minority admissions, the court has held 
held that such cases are reviewable under the 14th Amendment and that they must be reviewed under a standard of strict scrutiny to determine whether policies are precisely tailored to serve a compelling government interest. Basically, that means that um, Abigail Fisher did not win and the Supreme Court affirmed, you know, affirmative action is necessary and she, you know, regardless of her race, it did not matter. Oh, wow. That's very interesting. So I know that 20 that this is a pretty recent case, but I'm curious about what was the public opinion? Well, actually, funny you ask that. The Obama administration filed a brief on the side of UT. I said the university's effort to promote diversity is paramount um, government objective. And so, you know, you, you had the side of the president supported UT's uh, use of affirmative action and um, factoring in race as part of the admissions process. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, that's, you know, I think that's a, it was a great decision that was made. Um, And I think another way that this specific case shows the legacy she has continued from Brown versus Board of Education is um, how science, but more specifically psychological have been used to help with the court case. So Brown v. Board, um, and the lawyers, that was like kind of a pioneer case for using psychological tests as they used um, dolls, tested like different dolls on children to kind of prove that children from an early age learned white. It, it showed that they were taught white people were the superior race. And that was the, the point of the doll test. And it, it was pretty upsetting to like a lot of people who who saw like how it affected young children like at such a young age that they that was ingrained in their brains mm-hmm. and continuing yeah on with the theme of uh science in the fisher case they actually did a lot of scientific testing and they actually proved that well to help win their case they proved that the support for the overarching principle that higher education should be permitted to employ race conscious admissions would actually promote um, many be- educational benefits for all students associated with campus diversity, which, I mean, this court case proves it. So many examples prove it, just like Longview, Texas. Uh, so you talked about um, the lawyer Blum. Uh, where, where is he going next? Well, this is kind of insane. So his, his you know, he did advocate for Fisher, and he was like, she's the perfect plaintiff. When in reality, there's been some research done that it was a warm-up for a couple of Blum's quote unquote sleeper cases and that could deal and like there's this fear that it will be the death blow to affirmative action in college admissions and he is currently organizing some like and working with students to sue Harvard University and accusing it of discriminating against Asian American applicants and then also it's university's past record of discriminating against Jews which you know that's in his opinion. And then he also is creating a case against UNC, University of North Carolina. You know, that's where he's headed next. Be on the lookout because... Yeah, looking through that case, I mean, just from these small examples, we're able to see how important Brown v. Board of Education was and how important that legacy was and all it's done. It's done so much more, but there is also... There's a lot of room to move forward. While segregation schools no longer exist, there's still a lot of inequalities that take place in our schooling system. So as a question for you, Becky, 
and and for the viewers. We kind of ask about some some possible solutions to help with the legacy of Brown to to kind of help continue um, to that all students, uh, no matter their race or ethnicity or gender, um, are all receiving good and equal educations. Um, I think that a potential idea for doing so um, is actually funding public schools through property taxes because with uh, funding them through property taxes, huge qualities mm-hmm. will come from that because uh, wealthy neighborhoods will have far greater um, budgets and resources than lower-income neighborhoods, um, and it just creates huge gaps between the schools um, and the quality of education that the students receive. Um, and I think that's one possible solution. What do you think, Becky? That is a possible solution. Then also just like looking at how in abstract, like we, we accept Brown v. Board and most, most people in this country do accept Brown v. Board in its values. But I think there's some like their ideals of integration and people would like to see that. And then we don't really consider the reaction of people who are not in power and the separatism we have in this country amongst people and continuing to like push for things that are good for the country, even if they aren't accepted. Cause like Brown v. Board wasn't nationwidely accepted at the time, but now it's like super widely accepted. So yeah. of separatism, like there is still, you know, ways that we are, completely separate in this country. And I think with recognizing that, we're able to push more for Brown Brown v. Board and integration and not saying, oh, our job isn't done. Our job clearly isn't done with looking at the Abigail Fisher case and many other cases and many other issues in this country. And Brown is kind of, was that little bit of like that first step to overcoming our segregated nation. Hello, so Harrison and I, Harrison and I are back again, which for you, it's only been a couple seconds, but for us, it's been a couple days and we edited our podcast and we reflected on it a little bit and we're just like, you know what? I think there's something missing here. And we really just wanted to dive in a little bit deeper and talk about how these cases are related to Brown and what it says about Brown. So Abigail Fisher knew from the start that she wouldn't personally benefit from this case. And so when Fisher challenged UT's consideration of race, she was challenging deeper something deeper in this country. This case and push for quote-unquote race neutrality attempts to undo the purpose and standard Brown v. Board of Education set. Affirmative action is an effort to desegregate our school system, and it is really really to secure a diverse student body and counteract the effects of past discrimination, and one could argue even present issues prevalent in our society, but let's stay on track here. So, Fisher is trying to undo what Brown v. Board's purpose was to integrate the school system and create equal opportunity for everyone. And consider race as a factor because of the issues in our country, the past. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's 
sorry, I was about to swear. That's messed up in this country. And, and we can get into it. We can get into mass incarceration. We can get into like, you know, all of that. And, and it's all related. So that's just my two cents on how Abigail Fisher is related to Brown and, and, you know, how, you know, there are opposing viewpoints of it. And there are people that think they aren't, do not benefit from Brown v. Board. And the majority of those people are white students and white families who have benefited from segregation in the past. Um, I'm going to pass it off to Harrison to talk more about Long's View, Texas. Thank you, Becky. So looking back at Longview, Texas, the school district was um, under federal watch for almost 50 years. It would have been um, far shorter if they were simply forced to um, desegregate their schools, but actually they were, uh, they needed to take the further step and um, actually integrate their schools, um, which the integration of their schools actually proved to be extremely beneficial to the students. Um, so while there were huge amounts of resistance to the idea of desegregation, Longsview and many other counties, um, and as a result, um, Longsview and many other counties did not want to listen to the decision made um, in Brown v. Board of, uh, of Education. But um, after that, the federal government showed that they would not tolerate states and counties that would continue to practice segregation of, in schools. Um, another infamous example of this is uh, at Little Rock High School when um, Dwight Eisenhower um, sent the Federal Guard to allow black, uh, or to make sure that um, black students could safely attend the previously all-white school. Um, he had to do this because of how much resistance there was um, at the time and how many of the white people were against that. Um, so after the decision in Brown v. Board, the Federal Government helped to enforce um, desegregation in schools, but there's still so much we can do in order to guarantee that all students have an equal and quality education. Thank you.